Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to see everyone in the house of God this evening. Praise God. Before we start, uh, I am I am in a place now. I'm more prepared to give a better response to the gift that my wife and I received. Uh, that thing's really expensive, and uh, I uh, I can't tell you how uh, overwhelmed I feel and how blessed I feel. Uh, to be serving you. <laughs> Not that overwhelmed. <laughs> thank you so very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We will put it to good use. We already have. And uh, once I get a few recipes under my belt, uh, we're going to have some people over. And we'll break it in proper. Amen. Thank you so very much. <clears throat> it is our pleasure to serve you, uh, truly. Amen. This is God's service. We are here because He is here. We are here to receive of Him all that He has for us. Amen. I am so looking forward. I look forward to every service to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, even when my flesh doesn't feel like coming, I know that God has something for me. I know that, <laughs> I know from experience, that if I don't go, awesome things happen. And now I missed it. <laughs> and I think he does that on purpose. Amen. Let's all stand. We have an awesome opportunity this evening to enter into his presence, to receive his very word. Amen. Let's call out to him. Let's call out his name. And ask Him to bless this service, that His perfect will would be accomplished here this evening. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for You. We are so thankful for Your so great salvation. You are truly an awesome God. It is You who sits on the throne and no one else. There is no God beside You. There is no Savior beside You. You sit on the throne all by Yourself. You are altogether worthy to receive our worship and our praise, our thanksgiving, Hallelujah, Jesus. We exalt, laud, and magnify the mighty name of Jesus Christ in this house today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are our King, our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are our all in all, our ever-present help in time of need, a shield and a buckler to us, our high tower and strong defense in whom we trust. You are our exceeding great reward. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and magnify You. We lift up the mighty name of Jesus Christ in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are ever worthy to receive our worship and our praise. We delight to do so tonight. We delight ourselves in the Lord our God, in the God of our salvation this evening. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We worship and we praise You. I ask, Lord Jesus, I ask that Your will would be accomplished here tonight. That it is Your Word that would go forth, not mine. That it is Your will that would be done, not ours. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Because this is Your service and we are Your people. This is Your church. We have been bought by Your precious blood. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. Yours. We are Yours, Lord Jesus. And we give ourselves to You this evening. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will submit ourselves unto the Lord our God tonight in all that You desire to do, all that You desire to give. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship and we praise You. We give ourselves wholly and completely to You tonight. Thank You, Jesus, for what we are about to receive. Thank You, Jesus, for the ministration of Your Spirit, the manifestation of Your presence here tonight. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for what we're about to receive tonight. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you.
Thank you for responding to the presence of God. You can be seated. Tonight, it was in my heart to finally uh, close out our discussion on doctrine, particularly the doctrine of God. I have yet to finish that. I, I've been wanting to go over some scriptures that some people struggle with, and I had prepared to do that. As I started preparing, uh, I was led in a different direction, and in fact, I was led deep into the woods. And I think I got lost. That the Lord would help me find my way back tonight. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. I believe uh, I have a message from the Lord tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, states this. This is Jesus. Jesus had just given them a parable. Parable of the sower and the seed. Verse 10 starts off, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets... And righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Amen. We'll be talking tonight on choosing truth. That we should choose truth. Have you ever looked at something, read something, saw something, and in your mind, you know that you know what those words are saying. You know what you're looking at, but in reality, you have no clue. They are, in truth, something else entirely. My wife and I received a letter the other day, a day or two ago, from the Lighthouse Ranch for Boys. I'm like, okay, they're wanting more money, so I opened up the envelope and it wasn't Lighthouse Ranch for Boys at all that I could see. It was an invitation to an uh, installation service in Wausau for Brother and Sister Swanky. And, um, what is it? Swanky, thank you. What did I say? Swanky. Well, we got a good start here. <laughs> Brother Swanky, thank you. All right. So, I was like, what do they have to do with the Lighthouse Ranch for boys? I kept looking and looking and looking. Finally, I, I looked at the envelope it came in as Lighthouse Pentecostal Church. I'm like, what did I think was the Lighthouse Ranch for boys? I saw Lighthouse and that was it. That's all I had to look at. And so, in my mind, I saw one thing and I saw it so powerfully that it took me a few minutes to finally figure everything out. I couldn't, I was stumped, I was dumbfounded. I'm like, what does this have to do with the Lighthouse Ranch for Boys? Did, did they transfer over from there? No, that's not. In any case, I finally figured it out. I got something stuck in my head. And that's what I ended up seeing. And it was really hard to dislodge that idea that this was from the Lighthouse Ranch for Boys. 
If we look at the progression of science, we can see this demonstrated time and again. Once you get a favored theory or a favored uh, idea on how the universe works, it's really hard to dislodge that in people's minds. There was a time where everyone believed that the sun revolved around the earth. And that was just the way it was. That was proven. It was, it was, that was, that was truth. Until someone came along and tried to convince people, no, that's not true at all. The earth revolves around the sun. And there are all kinds of arguments against that idea, why that couldn't possibly be true. Religious arguments, theological, scientific. Galileo demonstrated it. He could demonstrate it, but it took a long time for people to finally accept that. Newtonian physics. In the 1700s, some odd years, Mr. Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton, my apologies, uh, discovered these laws of, of physics, laws of motion the uh, laws of thermodynamics. And they were able to explain everything. They were able to explain how the, how the planets revolved around the sun, how moons revolved around planets perfectly. Until Einstein came along and said, well, yeah, that works in, for most normal circumstances, but when you're dealing with extremely high velocities or extremely uh, powerful gravitational wells, uh, that doesn't work at all. They completely break down. And it took a long time for people to accept that. And we just got comfortable with that idea, and then this quantum physics things, thing comes along. Well, that explains things in, in normal physics and in these extreme situations, but it doesn't explain anything at all on the submolecular level. Physics is completely different when we're talking about subatomic particles. Just a couple of examples. An electron, you know, you got the different electron cells, the different energy states. Those states are they're quantized, which means that when an electron moves from one cell to another, it does not traverse the space in between. It quite literally blinks out of existence and reappears in the next cell. How does that happen? Well, normal laws of physics don't account for that. So now we need a different set of rules, a different set of laws. There's another thing called quantum entanglement. When two particles become entangled, they, they take on many of the same characteristics. And it's almost like sending information instantaneously across vast distances. There can be a particle on uh, one side of the solar system, a particle on the other side of the solar system, and if they're entangled, if I do something with this, it's going to affect this as well, instantaneously. How does that work? We don't know. We don't have a set of laws that, that cover that. So we need a new set of laws. And again, it takes a long time for people to... That can't be right. Look at, the, look at the data again. Do the test again. But that's what happens. It's weird. It's crazy. Quantum physics is fascinating as much as it is frustrating. But it's true. How about religious experiences? I was born and raised a good Lutheran boy. I knew right and wrong. I knew what the Bible said about everything I needed it to know <clears throat> for me to be a good Lutheran boy. Which unfortunately wasn't a whole lot. <clears throat> but I knew it. And then I started not knowing for sure. And then I came to a church very similar to this one and all kinds of ideas got challenged. Fortunately, the Lord had been working on me for a while before that, and I was ready to receive that. But I've worked with people, and you've talked with people, worked with people, who weren't quite at that stage yet. 
you give them a Bible study and you, you teach them uh, repentance, you teach them the plan of salvation, you teach them the oneness of God, etc., etc., etc. And, well, I grew up this way, so that's what I believe. And a lot of times, it's so ingrained, it's, so, it's so, such a part of their being that they can't even see that. You can explain, you can explain, you can show them Scripture, you can, if you want, you can go through the whole church history thing. They just don't see it. All they see is what they've been taught. Unless God reveals it to them. So in religious uh, experiences as well, we find that same phenomenon. We have a hard time letting go of cherished teachings and beliefs to replace that with something different. Now there's a game, and I probably should have done this a little differently to get the point across, but there's a game called Mad Gab. Has anyone ever heard of that or played it? It's a very fascinating game. You're supposed to come up with these phrases. They give you these weird, crazy phrases, and you say them really fast or you say them a little bit differently, and, and then they start sounding like something else. I have two examples. Here's an easy one. Abe, like Abe Lincoln, Abe, lest sing. Abe, lest sing. What does that stand for? A blessing, right. If you say it really fast, Abe, lest sing. See that? <laughs> a blessing. But when you look at the words, and that's why, I should have, that's why I should have put them up there. When you look at Abe, lest sing, that's what you see. That's what gets stuck in your head. And you'll be saying it. And everyone else will hear it because they know what, what the, the answer is. Everyone else knows you're saying it, but you don't. You have no idea you're saying it. I'm just saying this really fast. A blessing. A blessing. You're saying, what am I saying? Another one is, these if he'll war. These if he'll war. These if he'll war. The civil war. Is what the answer is. That one's a little bit harder. So again, you get something stuck in your head and you can't see anything else. Now the reason, the reason I started going down this path is because I was going to introduce my message with problem scriptures. And I started thinking about the idea of problem scriptures. You know, there are no problem scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of Scripture is profitable. There are no problem Scriptures. There are problematic ways of thinking. There are pro problematic worldviews and presuppositions. There may be problems with our knowledge or our understanding of Scripture. But there are no problem Scriptures. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because... Well, the transparency here, and I don't think I'm the only one... For some time, I would not even touch certain Scriptures because I didn't want to have to try to explain them. I didn't want to have to... Well, that brings up a question. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, that's a good one. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. <clears throat> These quote-unquote problem Scriptures. And here's... Here's my idea of why I think we have these problem Scriptures. Now, we know, at least intellectually, that we need to derive our doctrines from Scripture, not the other way around. Now, when I first came into the church, and this isn't, this isn't a slam or a slight on, on any, anybody, this is probably how they learned it. I was, I was part of a military outreach group, and it was a fantastic group. We did Bible studies every week. Every Saturday, we'd go on base, hand out tracks, witness, etc. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. It was, 
I learned so much from that group. But they taught me what the UPCI believed. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But I learned doctrine, long story short, from the UPCI manual and not from Scripture. So when I started seeing Scriptures that seemed to contradict what I learned about what the UPCI believed, I didn't like that. This is dangerous. This is dangerous because when we approach it this way, those Scriptures that seem to contradict our doctrine now become problematic. And there are no problem Scriptures. I think the proper way to do it is to learn what the Scriptures say about a particular topic and then let that lead us to a proper doctrine and then say, which is, by the way, what we believe. Now, this may seem like I'm splitting hairs. (laughs) No. But I assure you, this is important. It's important how we arrive at truth. It's important how we arrive at these particular doctrines. Yes, the UPCI does derive our doctrine from Scripture. Absolutely. And we can demonstrate that. But, if we're learning UPCI doctrine and later on seeing it in Scripture, I think that's the wrong approach. I think that's the wrong way to do it. The UPCI doctrinal positions were, in fact, derived from Scripture. But the question is, where were your doctrinal positions derived from? How did you arrive at what you believe today? Where do you trace that back to? I pray it was the Bible, ultimately. Not the UPCI manual, not what the pastor believes and and preaches, uh, but Scripture. Scripture is where we get our doctrine from. Our doctrine on the Godhead, our doctrine on salvation, our doctrine on uh, eschatology, the end times. That's where we derive those things from is Scripture. The UPCI manual, the UPCI doctrinal positions are scriptural. Don't get me wrong there. But we need to see it in Scripture. Why didn't Jesus just speak plainly concerning these things? Why do we have these problem Scriptures in the first place? I mean, think about it. If He would have just been plain in His teaching... We wouldn't have to worry about any of this. If he was just clear and direct. Why didn't he just come down and say, Hey everyone, I'm your Messiah. Is that the truth? Yes, that's the truth. Why didn't he just do that? Wouldn't that have been so much easier? Right? Wouldn't that have been easier? What were the people's ideas about the coming Messiah? What did they believe about their Messiah? All kinds of wrong stuff, right? If Jesus would have done that, if they would have heard Him at all, they would have laughed at best. No, they wouldn't have laughed. They'd have got really upset. They'd have thrown them in... Well, they did anyway. But they'd have started with that. Jesus needed time to, to work on them on a more fundamental level. He was trying to reveal Himself as their Messiah. Sure. But first... He had to change what they believed about their Messiah. How they saw the Messiah. Who He was really. He had to do all kinds of other things. He was trying to convert from the Old Testament, fulfilling that into a new covenant. He was doing all kinds of things in His three and a half years 
ministry. He was a very busy man. But they wouldn't have heard it. They wouldn't have seen it. And so, we get what we get in the New Testament. We get Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Wouldn't this have been much more clear though? Let me read Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and I'm going to fix these for God. I'm just kidding. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in my name. Wouldn't that have been better? Wouldn't that have been clearer? That is what he's saying, right? Why did he say it the way he did? How's about in Genesis 11:7? Instead of go to, let us go down. How about let me go down, and there confound their language. I find it's interesting that the disciple of John the Baptist was sent to Jesus to ask him in Matthew 11:3, "Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another?" So John the Baptist got to the place where he wasn't really sure now. And it was revealed to him. It was revealed to him who Jesus was. There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He knew. But then he wasn't sure. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? What was Jesus' response? Crickets. That response right there. Matthew sixteen thirteen through seventeen says this. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, saying, "Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?" And they said, "Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets." Nobody knew who Jesus was. Nobody. They knew He was a prophet. They knew He was a great teacher. He was sent from God. No one can do these things except God sent them. Then He asks, Whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The only reason Peter knew was because God told him. The only reason John the Baptist knew was because God told him. That's interesting to me. Here's another teaching. John 2, 19 and 20. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? I can't blame them for misunderstanding Him. I would have thought the same thing. I would have thought He was talking about the temple too. Yeah. Why all of this... These illusions, these hints, these metaphors. We read that Jesus spake in parables. When we look at uh, verse 11 in our Scripture text, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. It's in our diligent searching for God's truths that we qualify ourselves to receive greater revelation of Him. When we approach God's Word with slothful indifference, we disqualify ourselves from receiving truth from Him. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Why didn't Jesus just come out and say it directly? Well, another reason is 
Because sometimes truth costs you something. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes truth is a little bit under the surface. Sometimes it's way under the surface and you've got to work for it. You've got to dig that thing out. How do you approach Scripture? How do you approach the Word of God? How do you approach truth? Do you approach it diligently? Do you approach it with the idea that I'm going to, I'm going to have to get my hands dirty here and dig this thing out? Here's what I've discovered. The deepest truths are the most profound and life-changing truths. But they're the hardest to get to. And they'll probably cost you the most. The Scripture says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Or instruction. Anyway. After service, Bob. <clears throat> so, that right there tells you it's going to cost you something. Truth isn't just going to be sitting there on the street corner waiting for someone to pick it up. Not all the time. It can be. But when we start expecting it to be there all the time, now we got a problem. Now we start getting slothful. Now we start looking at truth like it's some dime store commodity that's just laying around whenever I need it. You start looking at the Word of God like that and you're starting to get onto dangerous territory. The Word of God is precious. It is so very precious. And if it costs us something, so be it. We qualify ourselves or we disqualify ourselves from God's greater truths based on how we approach truth. The Bible says, as you walk in light, you receive light. You've got to be doing it. You've got to be walking in it. Memorization is great. Knowing it is great. But if you're not doing it, at the end of the day, you're wasting your time. There are all kinds of people out there. College professors, theologians, they know the Greek, they know the Hebrew. They can explain all that stuff to you. But they don't do any of it. What good is it? It gives them a decent paying job, I guess. But they're receiving no benefit. Verse 12, those that have, have because they put the work in to receive it. Only the diligent will be marked with increase. The slothful are going to lose the little that they do have. Just read through the book of Proverbs. You'll see all kinds of references to the diligent and the slothful. The diligent are made rich. The diligent will stand before kings. The slothful, they starve. They beg in the streets. They lose everything they have. That applies to the truth that we receive. Not simply knowledge, but understanding. Revelation. It's one thing to know Scripture, to have it hidden in your heart. It's another thing altogether to know what that means, to understand it, to receive the truth of it. That applies to our gifts and talents. We need to use them or we're going to lose them. I know the Bible says that the gifts of God are given without repentance. But your gift will wither and die if you don't use it. It will. And I believe God gave you that gift to be used right here where He planted you. And if you're not going to use it here where God planted you, He's going to give somebody else that gift. Because it needs to be used. You'll probably still have the gift, but it's going to wither and die.
It applies to our relationship with God. We've got to be diligent in our relationship with God and pursue Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This was always meant to be an active relationship. Not one where we're just sitting around waiting for Him to knock on the door. Jesus hasn't contacted me in a while. wonder what's up. Well, why don't you go ask Him? That's okay, right? Proverbs 27 and 7 says, The full soul loatheth in honeycomb, but to the hungry soul... Every bitter thing is sweet. My kids took me out for Father's Day and we went to uh, Famous Dave's. It's one of my favorite spots. I love baby back ribs. I'll eat them all day long. And I tried. I tried to eat that whole garbage pail lid. Normally I'm fairly disciplined in my eating. That is my kryptonite. And I overate. I sinned. I did. I repented. But I still suffered the effects of it. <laughs> that hurt. And by the time I was done, there were still a few ribs left. No, thank you. I don't want another rib. The full soul loatheth the rib. When I get to the place in my relationship with God or in my reading and study of Scripture that, man, you know, I just kind of need some time apart. I just I just need a break. I need a break from church. I need a break from reading scripture. <sighs> I'm not going to name any names, but I I had one person tell me this. A minister that he just needed a break from all of it. I'm like I understand from time to time not feeling like it. Okay? That's legitimate. I don't always feel like it. None of us always feel like it. But we do it anyway. I'll use the example. I'll use it a thousand more times before I'm done. I don't always feel like picking up my dirty laundry. But I do because it pleases my wife. Sometimes I do these things to please God. But here's something that's true also. Every time I don't feel like coming to God in prayer, and I do, I feel like it pretty soon afterward. Eventually, I get to the place where I'm thankful I did. I don't always feel like coming to church. But when I come to church, I'm so thankful I did. Because I received something I wouldn't have received otherwise. And that's, the, that's just what I needed. But this idea that I just need a break for a little bit, I don't, I don't need to pray every day, I don't need to read Scripture every day, that's a red flag, folks. We need to stay hungry. We need to stay hungry for the things of God. We need to stay hungry for the Word of God. For a relationship, a growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. We can get to the place where the things of God become profane, ordinary, boring. We're human beings. I don't care what exciting, awesome thing you got going on, eventually you're going to be bored to tears of it. That's just the way we work. We see that in marriages all the time, don't we? 
young couple falls in love. It's so exciting, and I can't, I can't spend it. I can't spend any time away from that beautiful woman. I got to call her up when I'm at home, and and I can't wait to get up in the morning. And yeah, 20, 30 years later, you're not feeling like that anymore. Definitely not all the time. It just doesn't work like that. But it doesn't mean that, honey, we're going to separate. I don't feel like I love you this morning. What, what kind of craziness is that? That's not love. That's lust. That's, that's some kind of hormonal imbalance. Love is something far deeper. It's a commitment. It's a choice. It's an action. And even the things of God can get like that. But what would a marriage counselor tell you? Well, freshen it up. Liven it up. Do something different. Try something new. Go somewhere. Explore. Do this. Do that. Do something. Do that with your relationship with God. Pray at a different hour of the day. Pray in a different place. Pray Scripture. Do something. But I promise you, it's not God. It's you. God never gets tired of you. God doesn't get bored with us. He doesn't need a break from us. It's not God. It's you. Our jobs can get like that. Truth can get to this place in our lives. We've got it all figured out. We've got enough figured out. I'm good. I'm in a good spot right now. Not a new convert. Uh, been around a while. I know when to lift my hands. I know when to shout amen. <clears throat> I'm good. The price for more revelation sometimes just gets too high. I don't want to get up anymore to pray before work. I'm just too tired. I don't want to study Scripture for that long. i got other things to do. I've already quoted Proverbs 23.23, By the truth, sell it not. It is understanding. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Why does truth sometimes cost so much? Why is it sometimes so difficult? I mean, sometimes we're reading Scripture and that Scripture just pops. It just, oh my word, I didn't see that before. And you start getting excited and start looking into it. And it's awesome. It's fun. It's, it's a great experience. Sometimes, though, you're looking for an answer. And you don't see it right away. And you're praying, God, I got this question. I got this need. Give me an answer here. And you're, you're looking at Scripture and you're praying and you're looking at Scripture and Nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. Sometimes it takes a while. That's okay. Because God is laying a precedent down here. It's the diligent that are going to receive the wisdom. It's the diligent that's going to receive the revelation. Not the slothful. Not the indifferent. You might be tempted to give up and buy a self-help book. You might be tempted to give up and talk to a counselor. I don't know what the situation is. Sometimes I think talking to someone is a good idea. But, if you're looking to receive something from God and it doesn't happen right away, don't give up. It's like praying in general. You don't receive the answer right away, don't give up. 
Endure to the end. Continue to trust in God until you get the answer. Truth begins to look like it costs too much. Truth never costs too much, folks. The price is always cheap. It's always cheap. I don't care what the price is. You're not paying what it's really worth. But it can look like it costs too much because we begin to view it differently. We begin to see it as not so essential. We begin to see it as not necessary or uh, maybe even profane. We're indifferent to it. I don't really need to know that to go to heaven. I don't really need to understand what what that means or, or what that is. Matthew 7 and 6 says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. It's to this type of person Jesus is speaking about in verses 13 through 15. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them was fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Second Peter 3.5 says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. People can choose to become willingly ignorant. They can be ignorant on purpose. Have you ever met someone like that? Isn't that frustrating? You know for a fact they understand everything you're saying. You know for a fact they know everything you're saying is true. But they choose to deny it anyway. They come up with the lamest excuses. The lamest excuses. My kids could do a lot better than that. They come up with some pretty good ones sometimes. But these guys, these are just, just bad. Don't stop, please. That's just hideous. But they'll, they'll grasp onto anything rather than accept truth. Rather than hear truth. Moving on. When you do have a desire to pay for truth, to do the work to dig it out and to discover and receive God's Word, we are blessed. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, because they hear. Ours is the preferred state, the blessed state. We're the ones that have received light. And Jesus is saying that we're blessed because of it. Do you feel that way? The more light you receive, the more blessed we are. Proverbs 3, 13-18 says this, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Wisdom. Digging out truth from this holy book is more precious than rubies. All the things thou canst desire are not to be compared to it. Nothing in this world can possibly compare to the riches we find in Scripture. There are people whose entire profession is they train, they raise funds, they get equipment, they do research, and they go and they find buried, sunken treasure. 
they go to sunken ships and they dive and they, they, they try to retrieve treasure that's been lost from years and centuries past. Their whole lives are dedicated to that. For the hope of finding a rare treasure. How much more should we dedicate our lives to do the research, to dig, to train, to discover these precious truths? There may may be some here, I hope not, but there may be some here within the sound of my voice tonight that this is it's completely lost on you. You don't really understand what I'm talking about. Understanding that Again, I, I feel like I have to go back to that one example the missionary gave. Saving up a month's salary to buy a book that she couldn't read. But it was God's Word. And that was so precious to her. Holding God's Word in my hand. All through history, those that have received the Word of God. Those who God trusted with His Word, with His truths, were a blessed people. Abraham, his lineage. Later on, the people of Israel, the children of Israel. And now us, the repositories of God's truths. He has entrusted us with His Word. I hope we can see the value of that tonight. The value of the Word of God. I know it's, it's on every, literally every bookshelf of every bookstore you'll ever go into. Used or new. I, I, I understand that in the United States it's easy enough to get. You can download it on your device most of the time for free. It's very available. It's available to the point where we can choke on it. I get that. But don't let its availability and its commonality detract from its value. Don't get the idea that just because I can pick it up anywhere, anytime, that it has no value. It is the most precious thing in this world. The Word of God. It is the most precious thing in this world. And if you don't know, we've got to start viewing it like that. We've got to start understanding that these truths are precious. They're worth digging out. They're worth paying for. They're worth sacrificing for. There were people in times past that knew that this day was coming, that their Messiah was coming, but they didn't live long enough to see it. The truth that was revealed in Jesus' day, the truth that we have available to us today, was what these prophets and these holy men longed to see. They longed to see it, but they couldn't. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see what we see. They weren't able to hear what we hear. These are precious truths. So why all the vagueness? Why the parables? Jesus couldn't just pop out and declare Himself to be the Messiah because their thinking was so far away from that. They wouldn't have been able to see Him as the Messiah. Matthew Henry says this. I kind of like this. A parable is a shell that keeps good fruit for the diligent, but keeps it from the slothful. These parables were told by Jesus so that they would have to do a little bit of digging. 
they'd have to do a little bit of work themselves to arrive at these truths that he was teaching. If they weren't willing to, they'd disqualify themselves from that truth. If they were able to do the research, if they were able to do the digging, if they were able to approach these parables with the idea of discovering truth, they would have found it. They would have heard what Jesus was saying. Some truths are going to be hid from the superficial seeker of knowledge and are only revealed to those who are willing to work for them. The truths we find in Scripture are they're there for you and for me. Let me put that another way. There are all kinds of things about God's creation and about who God is that He could have revealed to us, but it isn't found in Scripture. He didn't reveal everything to us. Why? Because those are the things we truly didn't need to know. Let God determine that, shall we? God has already determined what we do need to know. And He put it in a book and He placed it in our hands. Let's be diligent. Let's do the work. Let's set our, let's set our face like a flint and start digging these truths out. Let's pay the price for truth. It's always worth it. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we are so very thankful for You. We are so thankful that You have entrusted us with this holy writ, the precious Word of the living God. Help us to esteem it very highly. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand as much as we are able in this human form, the power, the majesty, the awesomeness of the truths of the Word of God. Help us to esteem it highly. Help us to never, ever take it for granted. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that as we open Your Word, that You would grant unto us understanding, that You would grant unto us revelation according to Your heart, according to Your will. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Word of God, which is Your perfect will. Help us to please You in all that we do, say, and think. Go with us as we go our separate ways. Bring us back to your house at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.